May I speak in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So a little bit discombobulated. If you have come over to Facebook, I have from Facebook, I have no idea why that happened. I have been just looking while those videos have been running, and I just don't know, because nothing's different to what it was before. So anyway, that's not us, I don't think. I think that's Facebook. And I am pulling up, um, I'm trying to find my sermon notes, because I need to quote something. There we go. I have too many windows open on my phone. Now, you may wonder why you had that picture at the beginning. And that was uh, a picture by um, Brugger and had words of a poem by W.H. Auden with it. And um, slightly strange. I can't put it up again because of the way it's set up. Um, Anyway. I found this poem by Auden, and I really liked it, and I want to use it today. Um, This reading today can mean so many things, and we can go in so many directions, and there's so many micro pieces to it. But this this really struck me today. So I'm going to read the beginning and the end of this poem. It's called Musée des Beaux-Arts. And he wrote it um, while he was in Europe, actually the year before the Second World War broke out. So that puts it in context. So the beginning, about suffering, they were never wrong, the old masters, how well they understood its human position, how it takes place while someone else is eating or opening a window or just walking dully along. And then the end, which was up on the screen, was in Bruegel's Icarus, for instance, how everything turns away quite leisurely from the disaster. The plowman may have heard the splash, the forsaken cry, but for him it was not an important failure. The sun shone as it had on the white legs disappearing into the green water and the expansive, delicate ship that must have seen something amazing, a boy falling out of the sky, had somewhere to get to and sailed calmly on. And that says so many things about the way that life can be, about this fact that we kind of live as we go and we often just live in parallel tracks. And and that poem is actually quite damning in many ways. It's, It's about, you know, as you can tell, it's about Icarus, who is the boy who goes too close to the sun, he thinks he can fly, and the wax that's holding the feathers together, which his wings are made out of, melts and down he plummets. And this amazing and sad moment, motion, um, is witnessed or heard by people who do absolutely nothing about it. That will return. So we've had the part of this passage, or or maybe all of this passage, very uh, recently in Matthew. And it's almost, I think it is exactly the same, if not a few words different. And we have this piece that we didn't have, which is where Peter says, you are the Messiah. Um, And Jesus takes that, but then starts talking about crucifixion and the way of the cross, and Peter freaks out. And he's like, don't say that. I mean, and it's really strong language from Peter. It's just not like, oh, I don't really like that. I'd rather not. Can we do something else today? It's like, be quiet. How dare you say that? 
And that's kind of a bit much, really, to say to Jesus. But anyway, and then Jesus starts talking about this taking up of the cross. And we try and interpret that all the time. We try and think, well, what does that mean? What doesn't that mean? And I'm not going to worry so much about that today because I think we, we've done that many times before. So let's go back to Peter. Peter says this to Jesus, absolutely not, not happening, not on my watch. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Now, it's very easy to think, that. well, that was really rude. Jesus is calling his friend Satan. But think back to the temptation in the wilderness, which Mark does not elucidate on, but those stories are around, where Jesus is taken by Satan and told that he can rule the kingdoms of the world. He can see the whole world, and he can rule them all. This is true. And Peter saying, no, 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 no. You, you're not that sort of person. This is not who you're supposed to be. You don't get a cross. You get to be in charge. Peter's echoing those words in the wilderness. And I think that's a really strong reason for Jesus to say, get behind me, Satan. Not that Peter is Satan, but Peter is uttering words which carry him back to that time. And, um, you know, people have similar sayings today, and I didn't write that down, and the only one I thought of had a swear word in just now. So, but you know what I mean. You say things which, in context, mean something very different from the way we hear them, and that's important to remember. But the other thing Jesus says is, get behind me. Find your place. And I read in one of the commentaries, you cannot lead unless you can follow. Follow me so that you can lead and then lead as a part of your following. That doesn't come to the end of the Gospels, of course, the lead to serve me, but the serve me first comes the follow me, the do things my way, understand that this is how it will be. And the idea of cross, of course, is a dirty word. I was thinking, you know, if you're a parent and you found your children playing crucifixion, you might not be so happy. Um, it was not something people liked to talk about. And it, it was almost a crude word, maybe even, a, you know, the marginal swear word kind of thing. It's not something you would have expected Jesus to say. So this is very harsh from him. And he pulls in all sorts of images. He pulls in the idea of choice. He pulls in the idea of, of commerce. If you look at the forfeit kind of language, that's very around money markets and all sorts of things. He pulls in all this stuff, but what is he saying? What's he saying to us? And I think in Lent, there's something about laying ourselves down, and there's something about picking ourselves up in Christ and actually figuring out how that works. Just like how did Peter's lead and follow thing work? You know, he had to follow so he could lead, but then he has to lead in order to follow. And I, Father Benson, who uh, started the Cowley Fathers, um, said, self disappears and God grows inside. And that idea of as our self disappears, as our selfishness disappears, God gets bigger and bigger, and kind of we 
it's, it's this symbiotic relationship. So it's not about letting go and pretending we don't really exist in the first place. It's about embracing our full selves and offering them to God. And that is very hard. And I think if we come down to the truth of this passage, that letting go of who we really are means finding out who we really are and holding all parts of ourselves. And that's incredibly difficult, right? Because we don't want to do that. So it, we tend to talk about denying ourselves and taking up our cross, and we start talking about stuff. And we, we really don't want to let go of our stuff. But I wonder whether that's because our stuff represents our independence. Our stuff represents our ability to do things for ourselves, our ability to feel that we are in control. Not about self-control, but to feel that we're in charge, that we set the direction of our lives, that we choose. And some of that, of course, is true. But within the context of talking about letting go of self and growing in Christ, that's not a good thing. The illusion of self self-control and, and, and being in charge is not a good thing. And that pa this passage is really hard because not only does Jesus ask us to let go of that control, but he asks us to be willing to let go of all the things which represent that control. And those are super difficult things to do. So this idea of becoming who we are in Christ is about letting go, but it's also about honoring and understanding. And perhaps this is why the Icarus painting came to me. Today, I don't want to think of Icarus as those things out there that happen and we just don't notice. Even though there's great tragedy and an amazing story behind that, today I want to think of Icarus as something else. And that is this amazing ability we have to kind of get on with life and ignore these pieces of us and to come before God and kind of bury bits and not really be who we are because God can't fill up when we are holding so tightly onto pieces of ourselves that we really don't want to acknowledge. Pieces that are falling from the sky from misjudgments, from not understanding, from greed. All of those are Icarus. You can use so many adjectives. Why on earth did he go so close to the sun? Was he just young? Was he greedy? Was he impulsive? I don't know, but we have all that. And our Icarus falls into the ocean. And the plowman just enjoys the sunny day. Oh, what's the splash? And the ship has somewhere to go. We have to own that part of ourselves, whatever it is, and it will be different for everybody. We have to own that part of ourselves and bring it before God, especially in Lent. Because just pretending and allowing God to fill up the kind of surface bit is not going to work. Because at the end of the day, that's hypocritical, and people can see through it. People can see through someone who's simmering inside and walking around with a... Because... It's just not true. It's like that line in the song by the Beatles, Eleanor Rigby, one of my favorite songs by the Beatles because it's so depressing. 
we used to have to sing it at school. And of course, I was a depressed teenager, so it was amazing. But anyway, one of the lines in this song about Eleanor Rigby is, uh, stands at the window wearing the face that she keeps in the jar by a door, by the door. I love that idea. It's a bit gruesome, but wearing the face that she keeps in a jar by the door. So that idea that she has her public face, that she stuffs over the top. It's all very Hannibal Lecter, I'm sorry. That she stuffs over the top, that her appearance outwardly is so different to her pain inwardly. And we do that in society, and I'm not suggesting that everybody leaks all their junk all over everybody else tomorrow, because that's not a good idea. But when we come before God, we can't have that mask on. And that can be a difficult journey for us. I really have no idea why I'm preaching this sermon, but I suspect someone out there needs to hear this. Um, I could have, you know, I could be saying some nice things or banging on about going out and looking after the poor, but I think it's really important to understand our inner voice and our inner conversation during Lent, especially during this sort of Lent when we've had such a difficult run-up to it. So take from that what you will. We have to follow in order to lead. We have to follow in order to teach. We have to empty out ourselves in order to allow God in, but we have to know ourselves in order to empty out ourselves, and we have to be honest with ourselves in order to empty out ourselves, and we have to let God in then. And by following God, by emptying out, we are letting, it's this, again, this circle. Let's not try and explain it. It works. Anyway, look after yourselves, and I hope that maybe some of that made sense, and we'll continue with the service. Amen.